1: Since 1936, the National Wildlife Federation has worked with hunters and anglers to pass the most important conservation laws in American history and to protect our sporting traditions. This podcast explores our history, our values, and the work we do to safeguard the fish and wildlife that fuel our passions. We are NWF Outdoors. Welcome to NWF Outdoors Podcast. This is your host, Aaron Kindle, and today I have a great guest that I'm really happy came on. Uh, He's a friend and a devout conservationist, so I'm really happy we're going to be able to have this conversation. Today, I have the pleasure of having Johnny LeCocque on. How are you doing today, Johnny?
2: I'm doing great, Aaron. Thanks for having me on.
1: You're welcome. And Johnny is awesome in the conservation world and in the fishing industry, he is the president and CEO of Fishpond, which is a fishing gear apparel. How would you describe it, Johnny, exactly?
2: Well, yeah, we're, we're in the outdoor market. You know, we are primarily, our primary market is the fly fishing market, how we started out, but it's really morphed into really being an outdoor brand. Uh, so we hit a lot of consumers who just love being outside.
1: Sure. And I have multiple Fishpond items, so I can attest excellent products. But Johnny's been a professional photographer for more than 35 years. He's on a couple of different boards. He's just engaged in in every different way and constantly improving what's going on at Fishpond. And I've gotten to know Johnny over the last, I don't know, 10 years or so on some conservation work we've done around here in Colorado and beyond. And I'm just lucky to have him. Appreciate you being here, Johnny. And we always start with asking folks, you know, what they've been doing outside lately. This is an outdoors podcast, so we like to dip into the the fun adventures people are out there doing and live vicariously a little bit. So what have you been up to?
2: Well, living on the western slope of Colorado on a ranch that's about 30 miles from the nearest town, you know, we have plenty of outdoors right out the backyard here uh, and right outside the front door. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're dealing with a, a less snowpack this year than – typically we like to have you know we are we're, we're, we're conscious of that and, and watching that carefully uh but we're skiing we're uh we're still fishing uh we're backcountry skiing uh snowshoeing uh and enjoying just being just seeing the beauty of life as it unfolds in the silence of winter which is which is an amazing part of the our, our season
1: that's awesome Johnny. i appreciate that and and for me myself i have not been outside as much as i'd like to lately As we all know, running up to holidays and all these Zoom calls, trying to get everything done at the end of the year, uh, we hosted an awesome uh, conservation, hunting and angling conservation summit just yesterday, actually, with a few members of Congress and conservation leaders all over the country. So been spending too much time inside, did get a little skiing in last weekend with my family. So since our last podcast, that's about the extent of my outside time, unfortunately, but break is coming up here and I'm going to get out plenty more. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Johnny, let's just dive in a little. How did you get engaged in conservation? And, you know, tell us a little bit about your background. Where'd you grow up? What brought you here to this, this place?
2: Well, first I, uh, you know, thank you for calling me a conservationist. I mean, that means a lot. I mean, I think it's, you know, how do you, what is the world that you define yourself in, in business? And I, you know, I've always told people that, you know, the That what we make with our brand Fishpond really pales in comparison to what we try to stand for and the values that we work with. And and over the years, our collaboration uh, with various NGOs such as you, uh, you know, all across the board, uh, Trout Unlimited, Nature Conservancy, uh, Climate Change Organizations, et cetera. You know, we've learned that none of us can do it alone, uh, but together we can really try to make some impact and get things done. So I think it's it's been a real honor to be able to work with with you, your organization uh, alongside with others and you and we all work together to kind of drive this goal. So you know conservation has become a platform for our brand, but not f- from a greenwashing perspective or just because it's it's kind of nice to do in this time of people being conscious of our outdoor uh, ecosystems, but because um, it is it's the right thing to do to leverage our products and our brand to be able to do something uh that's way bigger than what we make so it's really fun to see that it's fun to see the collaborations of how we have worked together over the years and the decades really of doing this um but fish pond came about you know i i was born and raised in colorado uh you know hunting and fishing were a major part of my life with my dad uh and uh it, it just it's just been a world of of joy for me just being that kind con- of that avenue through hunting and fishing to be to bring me to the outside world uh, so i'm really grateful for that so how we grow up how we are influenced as youth really transpires into what we become later in our life uh, and for me it's really those pursuits that have just made the joy of being outside and watching light become um, a major part of my life so born and raised in colorado i became a photographer uh, in my early 20s i've been on assignment in over 72 countries for fortune 50 companies you know, Federal Express and UPS, and DHL, Apple Computer, branded them for five years. So I worked wow. with a lot of very large corporations on the photography branding side, on the international side, creating images to, as metaphors to their their services. Um, uh, but, you know, and so I learned a lot about marketing. And through that, I, I started in 1984, a company uh, called Case Logic, which was a, a music storage uh, company. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so, and it kind of gave me a taste into international marketing, uh, international manufacturing primarily, um, and creating the world's largest music storage company. But when I sold that in the 90s, you know, I mean, I always felt a little empty with that brand, uh, still working as a photographer because, you know, of what it meant and what it meant to my life personally. So when I started another business, which was Fishpond in the year 2000, I wanted to make sure I was doing something that aligned with my true passions uh, and something that dealt with the outside world and where I could actually lend my photography skills to really, you know, want me to get out there. So Fishpond was started in in 2000. Uh, It's, you know, 21 years old now uh, as a brand. Um, And we uh, strive to make the world's most innovative product. And I design every product. Not only did I found the brand, uh, but I design all the products. Um, and I've got great partners uh, uh, in Denver. Um, my, my my two good friends Ben and Will Kurtz, uh, who run the operational side of the business, who are phenomenal. So we have a great really guys. good team. Yeah, great we're guys. A, we're a small business, but it, we're, we're loving it, Aaron.
1: Awesome. And you know, I think if ever if anyone has ever seen a fish pond catalog or their website, you can certainly see plenty of Johnny's photographs on there. He, he's done a lot of that, you know, product line and just beautiful imagery and and scenery. So take a look at those. So what about conservation, Johnny, when did you guys go, you know, I mean, and I'll give folks a little bit of background, you know, every time I've turned to you and said, Johnny, we need a business partner. We need somebody who cares and and knows these issues. uh, You've stepped up and been absolutely gracious with your time and, and, and given your company to that and your company's ethos really is formed around you know, being really good with conservation. So tell me how you developed that as a company and, you know, what exactly went into that?
2: You know, I don't think it ever starts with a plan. Uh, I think there is, you know, and when I started Fishpond, I never had the ideals of conservation in mind. It was really to make the most beautiful, most functional, innovative product in the marketplace. I think we've been successful with that. But I think, you know, you start to learn that there's more depth. To what you do every day, than just making something and selling it. So revenues become less important. Um, so working towards the ideals of leveraging the brand for conservation has basically grew to be the, one of the main focuses of our company um, and how we align with people like yourself. Uh, you know, we become a B corporation, which is a benefit corporation. Uh, ben and Jerry's ice cream, Patagonia. Yeah. Uh, there's about 3,500 B Corps around the world in 72 different countries. Um, but they're, they're a group of companies that really give a damn, uh, that that really work for not only just you know the bottom line, but for social good uh, within their community, their employees, and doing something much bigger than just making product. So we became a B Corp. Uh, and again, you know, I have a voice myself in the conservation world. But our brand has a more powerful voice because we can leverage that voice of water being, uh, you know, and and a group of people, a tribe of people who align themselves with water based issues and land based issues, habitat issues, people who really care about our outside world to be a part of a tribe that could actually get something done on a policy level. So we're just trying to leverage, you know, that ethos that you talk about of who we are to try to make sure that people align with us so together we can do something that's beneficial for the planet.
1: Yeah, and the outdoor industry has really stepped up more recently, you know, in conservation and, and using their voice. Are you, tell us how you're engaged with that work.
2: Well, you know, the outdoor industry, again, it's, it's, it's a big industry. There's different, you know, you kind of bifurcate the outdoor industry into a lot of different subgroups of different specialty sports. Yeah. But together, uh, we're, we're a voice in this monstrous, uh, you know, economy that could be the third largest uh, economic sector of our country. Uh, with 7 million jobs that are, that that tie into it. So it's powerful. And and I think the key is, is understanding just like how we work as a brand, how do we work as an industry to, to, to leverage that strength, that economic strength, which actually moves the needle in Congress, and in the House and working with the senators, et cetera, that actually moves the, the, the needle from a policy perspective. So how we can come together to be more clear about how we do that together is is a challenge, uh, but uh, but it is part of our world, and so we just need to rally the troops and uh, continue to to be a force together uh, to make these changes.
1: Good, yeah, and that I'll say it has been effective. the The Outdoor Industry Association, if you will, uh, the trade group that represents a lot of those groups, has been highly vocal lately, and and I don't I think it's the first time somebody really kind of took that collective outdoor industry world and and quantified it and showed the world what you know huge impact economically and then if you take beyond economics you know the advocacy the other work we're doing the getting people outside you know there's so many uh beneficial additions to just getting people outside whether whether it's the economy or health or you know mental health there's a lot of good things and that's been a nice breath of fresh air to see that industry start pouring in and helping out um Johnny, let's talk about, you know, exactly what you are doing conservation-wise. I know you're highly engaged here in Colorado. Um, If you want to talk a little bit about those, and then maybe nationally, I know you've been engaged in some climate work, um, which is critical. I think the sporting community, we're, we're starting to dive in a little bit more on that and expand and tell some more stories about what's happening for people. Maybe we'll start in Colorado, and then we'll jump over to some of those other things.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, starting off on the climate side, you know, I was invited to a CEO conference on climate change. Uh, Protect Our Winters was involved with that as well. We we all met in Telluride. Uh, there were big brands there, like Ben and Jerry's, um, that were there. These CEOs uh, and we were there to make a commitment to communicate the what the values and the, the the and the issues that we're facing from a from a country and a planet on climate issues. So. I went there, I made a commitment, I met some really great people, uh, and uh, I, in Max Holmes, who is a very good friend of mine now, who was the deputy director of science at the Woods Hole Research Center in Woods Hole, Massachusetts, uh, which is considered the number one think tank science group in the world that deal with climate issues, invited me to become a board of directors of the Woods Hole Research Center. Uh, they've now just recently changed their name to the Woodwell Climate Research Center, uh, but it is scientists working all across the globe, from the Arctic to the Amazon, on issues that deal with a changing planet and, and how we communicate the, the, what's happening with carbon uh, in our country. From a Colorado perspective, uh, I'm working uh, with the Nature Conservancy. My good friend Carlos Fernandez, who's the president of the Colorado Nature Conservancy, and trying to work with their agility lab and work in concert with the state to come up with an innovation challenge uh, for businesses to come up with solutions that will reduce greenhouse gases uh, in our state of Colorado, to meet to meet these goals uh, of 2025 and 2050. And there are going to be big sacrifices involved to do that. Um, but one of the greatest things that we can do as, as a state uh, is to work with uh, and to develop new ideas with using agricultural uh, you know, uh, industry to be a part of that. Because natural climate solutions are about 37% of what could be the, this goal to, to stop this, this, this rise yeah. in, in temperature. So you know, keeping ranches, uh, leaving uh, not tilling ground as much, kind of like a conservation resource program in the hunting world where you know, farmers are, are, are paid a, a, a fee to put their, their land aside for conservation. So there's incentives there. So sure. we're going to have to create incentive programs, et cetera. But climate is a very big one. But we work with, you know, Nate, uh, Nature Conservancy, uh, you know, Wildlife Federation, such as yourself, uh, Trout Unlimited. Uh, it just, it seems like an endless group of people, uh, Western Rivers Conservancy. Um, uh, but anyhow, we, we work with a lot of individuals because, you know, again, it takes it's all it's of us together right, yeah. to kind of drive for that one goal that, of, of making that change.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things we're seeing and is really exciting to me too within the climate work is is resilience. You know, not just hoping and and working on things like reducing greenhouse gas, but also how do we better prepare for the things we know are going to happen that we essentially can't stop at this point? Um how how are the how are your networks talking about that? Is there any discussion on that or is it mostly about the policy side on the reduction?
2: Well, I think, you know, mitigating, you know, this trajectory uh, that we see, you know, whether from fires or floods or all these issues across the world, and and that we're seeing impacted hugely here in Colorado, especially this last summer with two of the largest wildfires we've ever had. Um, you know, there are things we need to do not only from to mitigate through, you know, maybe better forest management. That there's part that's partly the issue, but the you know these temperature swings that we're seeing. Water temperature rise, uh, issues like that that we're seeing across the board uh, that are affecting our recreation that will also affect the economics behind that recreation is profound. So we need to look at all those issues together and to and to collectively get all the participants who are economically tied into it and people who just simply love wildlife and want to see this habitat not be destructed like it was this summer. How do we work to solve those problems? So it really starts from a federal level. Uh, But really, I'm finding more and more that to really get things done, that you need to work, you know, on a a local level. And we're working here in the state, but we're also working here in our county, trying to work. You know, I live in Summit County, Colorado, uh, who are part of this plan, working with, uh, they're working with the Nature Conservancy, et cetera, on these programs to communicate to people more directly who have more intimate feel for how they can personally impact those decisions on how they can participate on climate change issues. Because the issue is so big, people, you know, it, it's, a, it's a worldly problem. It's also, you know, it's a United States problem. You know, it's a Colorado problem. But those are all so big. How do we participate? But there's ways we can yeah. do it in our own backyard. And I think that's what we're trying to do, too, is to encourage people to work with their planning departments and their, their own municipalities to try to come up with solutions um, that are a little bit more uh, close to home.
1: Yeah, I think particularly on the mitigation front, that's where the local stuff comes in. You know, how do we prepare for what we know is coming? In Summit County's case, right, one of the biggest uh, skiing counties, probably in the whole country, maybe. Uh, and how do we, you know, get ready if there's not snow? I mean, what what would that look like? You know, for Summit County, their their lives would change incredibly. Um, so, so Johnny, what is Woods Hole, the group there? What are they? What are they specifically pushing and advocating for? And what kind of things are you guys up to?
2: Well, let me tell you most specifically with what we have uh, created at Woods Hole, uh, now the Woodwell Climate Research Center, is, is is science is is a program we call Science on the Fly, and the website is Science on the Fly info. Uh, so check that out. So. And it's, it's really busting loose at the seams. And what we're using is we're leveraging the strength of our community in the angling world across the globe to create and, do, and to collect water samples. We have 140 sites right now different people collecting different rivers. Uh, we're, we're working on seven rivers in southwest Alaska, across the United States, and we'll soon expand into the, in the southern hemisphere. But we're using, you know, outfitters, guides, uh, anglers, people who are involved in, in our industry to who have access to these river systems that we couldn't do on our own to collect the water data, send it back to the Woods Hole Research Center, Woodwell Re- Climate Research Center, uh, to analyze the water for pH, uh, temperature, nitrates, all those things to get a baseline and a data point that we can see how things are going to shift in the future. So that's really fun. So we're working on that, and it's and and water is one of the greatest threats of of, of climate, you know, and. Rising temperatures, and we're seeing hoodow ro- rules in the summertime in our industry where yeah. rivers are shut down in the afternoon because they're too warm. We're seeing that in Alaska last summer where salmon are actually dying because of, of water temperatures that are historically higher than they've ever been. So, you know, water is huge. We need to understand what a changing rising temperature environment looks like to not only our fishing industry, the ski industry, uh, but just for the lifeblood of the agricultural industry and as we know the headwaters of the Colorado run just 15 miles from my ranch here uh and it's it's the lifeline it's the water pipeline uh for tens of millions of people and how we can secure a future and that and the economics tied into that is significant so we all need to work together we have issues and uh but to me Aaron the the pinnacle and what I try to strive to work towards is species health And when we have healthy species, when we have healthy species all across the spectrum uh, and in native species in our ecosystems, um, if if we have health with species, most likely we have health with our habitat and the ecosystems that revolve around those species. So, you know, species protection, not only for recreation, and and recreation can be defined by obviously hunting and fishing, but bird watching and butterfly catching, whatever you want to do. we have to work and coexist with nature. Uh, we have to, and, and right now I'm working with our Colorado Parks and Wildlife, Dan Prenzler, who's executive director, to help them and guide them on a rebranding strategy, so to speak, uh, to help to have them better tell their story of the amazing things that they're doing uh, within our state of Colorado. And all these departments of um, uh, you know uh, wildlife uh, offices uh ours happens to be the you know whether, you know some are dnR the department of natural resources ours is the Colorado parks and wildlife but they manage all of our wildlife so how do we best help them reach their goals and have better funding to do the things that they need to do uh, to to help all of us along so so that's one thing i'm doing as a personal project outside of fish pond is just to help on that branding effort but you know, there's so many people involved, and I'm just happy to be a participant and and to work on your benefit and all the things that the National Wildlife Federation needs to have happen as well.
1: That's awesome, Johnny. And I, one thing we should talk about is, you know, this has kind of gotten a lot about climate, but uh, it's all right. There's a lot of stuff out there. You know, you fished all over the world too. I mean, you're you're an incredible angler, and you I know you've been to some of the most magnificent places on earth to fish. Are you seeing, like, tell me what you're seeing when you're in those places. And, and when you're talking to the people who are there, what are they talking about for climate change and, and other changes they're seeing with their wildlife?
2: Well, the, the biggest discussion right now is just, you know, with, it could be through COVID, whatever, but we're seeing a lot more interest in participation in outdoor activities. So on the hunting and angling side, we're seeing a lot more pressure in the places that we're going. So we've seen a lot now of discussion about how we can right now. kind of spread that out a little bit and not have, you know, so we're not putting pressure on some of these sensitive uh, areas. But, you know, across the globe, the story is pretty much the same. Uh, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, we were fishing down in Navarino Island, which is the southernmost place in the world to fish for trout. Um, it actually may be the most southern place in the world to fish, period. It's it's on the other side of the Beagle Channel, The on the shores. The next step is Antarctica. And uh, but uh, Navarino Island, which is a very special place, it's south of of the southernmost part of Chile. Uh, So it's really far down there. And the impacts of climate, you're you're sensing right there. We're we're seeing it. Um, You know, temperature shifts, uh, changing environment, uh, catch rates of fish, um, etc. The impacts are individual to each place we go. And even here on my ranch, uh, even this winter, I mean, we have a very low snowpack. I'm very worried about uh, our, our our snowpack for the winter. And if we don't have a whole lot of snowpack here, it's going to impact the headwaters all across our state, pretty much, which is the Colorado River, the Arkansas River, all these major headwaters that feed populations way downstream. So we're talking about that a lot. Uh, we talk about it as, a, as an industry. Right now, the snow is low. The ski industry is being impacted. But you know, if the ski area is being impacted, our fishing industry will be impacted this summer. So Definitely. lots of discussion around that.
1: We like to call snow trout habitat that falls out of the sky, right? <laughs> so what is the what is the fishing industry talking about with respect to these things, Johnny? I mean, is there a collective entity? I know you you know you spend time at IFTD and some of the other trade shows, and there's the the, the what is it, AFTA? The some of the you know, fishing organizations are they as a group starting to talk about this increasingly, or is it, are they have been talking about it a lot already? You know, give us a little inside view on how the fishing community is thinking about this. Well, <clears throat> industry rather,
2: yeah. Collectively, we need to speak about it as an industry uh, to make change, and I think we're seeing it uh, from a climate perspective and the changes and how we participate, how we can actually communicate the the, the values of habitat. And how climate is being uh, is, is impacting those. So you know, there's just a communication strategy of how we can all do that together, and and collectively as an industry, um, you know, there's issues like Pebble Mine, uh, where we have you know huge threats, conservation threats, environmental uh, catastrophes that could happen. That if it weren't for people like, like this collective voice of the fishing industry getting involved to put pressure on Congress to make decisions and on rulemaking processes such as through the Army Corps of Engineers, et cetera, through the Clean Water Act, um, we would see those things push ahead and, and happen. So, you know, I'm really proud that the fishing industry and other environmental groups such as yourself, uh, collectively across the board, um, outdoor advocacy groups have banded together to create this monstrous outpouring of, uh, of sentiment against that, mining process and what that would mean long term because it was a catalyst for something that would happen that'd be much bigger someplace else in the world later so putting a stop to that i don't think it's ever going to be stopped i think there's always going to be pressure with that kind of economic value behind it but for right now we've we've put a huge obstacle in front of that being able to happen and that was because of the collective voice of not just the fishing industry but the outdoor industry and outdoor organizations ngos such as yourself so together we made that happen. And I think we all need to be very proud of that because it sent a very strong message um, to the world, a uh, strong message to the extraction industry that some places are just too sacred to, to mess with, regardless of how much value is in the ground.
1: Yeah, couldn't have said it better. That's, a, that's one of those places. That's for damn sure. It's a, have you been there, Johnny? Have you been up in those, those rivers?
2: I have. And right now through science on the fly, we're mapping, uh, seven, seven rivers in, uh, Southwest Alaska. Uh, and I fished up there. I used to commercial fish up there for years up in uh, Bristol Bay. So it's, it's, it's near and dear to my heart. Sorry about my dog. <laughs> so <laughs> can't control <thumb> things.
1: <laughs> That's all right. Everybody's doing everything at zoom and at home and everything lately. So we, we can't control it all. Uh, well, good, Johnny. I appreciate you saying that. But why don't you, uh, uh, if you would, for me, just just entertain me a bit here on the tell me tell me the most magnificent fishing story you can come up with. I mean, I I always kind of live vicariously through you. You're you're doing so many amazing things out there in the world and catching some amazing fish, and you know, I I, I really. Envy some somewhat of the cool stuff you get to do. I mean, I, I don't want to use that word too strongly. It's more just it's so cool that you're doing that stuff, and and I uh, and I like seeing all you're doing. Tell me a little bit about what's your uh, your favorite kind of fishing memory. You know that you can tell folks.
2: Well, I think you know we can all jump across borders and go to exotic places and fish from Southern Chile to Alaska and have amazing experiences in every single one of those places. Uh, and, and I've done that and I love going there and I love seeing those places. But to me, the most special type of fishing, the most ex- special experiences I have and continue to have are, are the water that exists right outside the door here. Uh, you know, the Gore Range, the mountains that are behind me. Uh, we've, we've got peaks, as you know, we all know, in Colorado, we have 54 uh, uh, peaks in Colorado that are over 14,000 feet. So that water that flows into those little pockets, those little nooks and crannies up way up in the high country that are very hard to get to to me that's that's my joy that's my that's the thing i love to do and uh while i can still do it i love hiking way up high to catch you know eight inch fish um that to me the purity of that habitat and the purity of that experience of being in a place where really nobody everybody can get there in a way uh but people choose not to get there and so to fish away from the crowds and to really connect with yourself spiritually. And understand why you're there in the first place, which is never really about the fish, uh, but it's about being in that place. Uh, that's what gives me the most joy. And to me, that's the most, you know, I guess the most pl- pleasurable type of, of of experience I can have from a fishing perspective.
1: Sure. And we've, we've had some interesting developments with uh, cutthroat trout in Colorado over the last, mm, let's say, five or six years. We found, you know, the actual only living, breathing population of greenback cutthroat. I was involved with that when I used to work for Trout Unlimited down down near Colorado Springs, actually, and now we've started to move those around and proliferate those fish, and and they're in several streams now. And then we also found a relic uh, cutthroat species down south in the San Juan, the San Juan trout, uh, San Juan cutthroat trout. So those are moving around. We're almost, hopefully one day, maybe we can find our uh, the yellowfin cutthroat trout, which has been extinct for for quite some time, which is from near where I am here in Salida, but uh, we, it's nice to find a couple of, you know, trout, we thought we were, were gone. And now that now we have them back. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy you said that Johnny, because, you know, I, I'm lucky enough to fish those places that you mentioned quite a bit. And, you know, I think the the glory that we see out there today in this, in this, you know, Instagram world and all these, these wonderful fish and all these people, sometimes you forget just how dang good we have it. And so that was a good reminder, you know, the, the getting a, eight, 10 inch cutthroat out of a, out of a a nice high mountain stream with no one around in that cool breeze and cool water is, is pretty spectacular and hard to beat. So I, I, I definitely appreciate you you talking about that. Um, Where do you see things going, Johnny? Where's fish pond headed? You know, where, where are you taking your business considering all the things that are happening, whether it's pandemic, climate change, you know, other conservation issues, what are you looking at in the, in the horizon?
2: Well, I, I see, you know, my personal quest is always been innovation from a creative perspective. You know, whether it's painting in my life or photography or designing fish pond products, to me it's a it's a creative outlet, it's a creative platform. Uh, but you know, I see the future just getting stronger and more profound in the way that I'm able to again leverage the brand as the founder and CEO. I'm working with great business partners that I have who believe in the voice of of the natural world. Uh, and, and, and hopefully we can really start seeing some really measurable uh, uh, outcome from all the work that we're doing. And, but just to get back to your final other point about you know, native species and cutthroats, et cetera, I think the future f- for what I see uh, is to not only communicate issues that deal with water, but to, is- that, to communicate issues of coexistence. Um, and I think we need, we need that more in our world. We have amazing amount of public ground here in the United States. Uh, You know, we have this amazing gift that most countries don't have to have this this public opportunity. Um, But there's a responsibility to understand what that means and how we actually coexist with those public lands and private lands to be the best stewards of an ecosystem possible. So, you know, we see, you know, here in Colorado, we had a recent ballot initiative where we uh, voted from a ballot perspective to reintroduce wolves into Colorado. It was contentious, it was narrowly uh, passed. Uh, There's both sides to to the story here. Uh, Different people see different viewpoints on it, but I guess my point is is that the success of of this will be that we look at species and the coexistence and ways that we can work best to create this wildness that is so important uh, across the planet and the world, and how we can actually make sure and guarantee the future that we have that coexistence, so, you know, populations of species aren't becoming uh, extinct. Um, that, you know, that we work, that we understand that uh, there is some issues that we have with wildlife They need to be managed in certain ways, uh, but, but by not having them in our backyards is, creates a less of a wild experience in our lifetime. Um, and there's no purity and joy in that. So I look forward to seeing all sorts of groups work together with fish pond. And myself to make sure that we have this and you know this in perpetuity this this life that we coexist with wildlife
1: yeah that's well said Uh, you know i think having the full complement of flora and fauna on the landscape is 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 a great thing for for humanity for wildness I, i mean I would agree with you there. Obviously, that's a contentious issue, you know, getting wolves here and how it happened and so on and so forth. Um, I've I've had some experience hunting in, in places with wolves and and never really had any issue myself. You know, I know there is some issues. There's some things we need to work out. I'm I'm really hoping Colorado can be a, a shining example when this is all over. That you know, we we got the right people together. We worked together. We did it collaboratively. And you know, in how many ever years we're looking up and seeing a success story, Um, and 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 everybody's pretty well working together. I think it'll be hard that there's something about the wolf. It's it's a it's an interesting critter as far as people are concerned, right? They always there's always really uh, divisive kind of viewpoints of the wolf. But appreciate you saying that. What about other states, John? Are you engaged with any other efforts across the country specifically uh, on conservation wise?
2: Well, I'd say that collectively what the work that we do is impacts every state. I think Colorado is in a unique position and people look up to us figuratively and metaphorically in many ways because of our, of of our, our conservation kind of mindset here, our high peaks, uh, the natural world that we have, we, you know, I think a lot of people can use Colorado as an example to help some of their issues that we can get things passed here. But I think the work that we do is really a, a broad stroke across all habitat. I don't think, I mean, there are issues that we're dealing with directly for Colorado, but they also impact other states as well downstream from water issues, et cetera, uh, policy issues that we help get past, et cetera. But I, I really feel that, you know, the work that we all do, including your organization, Aaron, is, you know, the impacts are felt all around the world, really. I mean, I think, you know, we, we work on issues that we think are in our own backyards, uh, in our own country, uh, but really the, those issues uh, reverberate and send signals to everybody across the world. So I, th- I think, you know, how we, again, we have this short amount of time on life. What, are, what is the impact that we want to, we want to uh, leave? What do we want to say uh, about what we've done? Uh, and I think, you know, every day I wake up, you know, we make a cup of coffee or whatever it is, and, you know, we have this little routine, but you realize the older you get how finite our time is and what do we need to do to, to, to guarantee, um, species health. The one thing for sure is that the, the world will continue to exist and species will flourish in their own ways, whether humankind will be able to do that. That's another story. Um, you know, we may annihilate ourselves uh, before anything, but for sure, and, and again, this kind of rang true when I was working on a film project, which I've been working on for the past few years up in the Tongass, which is, you know, America's largest national forest of 17 million acres up in Southeast Alaska. Um, you yeah, know, feel so,
1: free to talk about that some more. We, we've been working yeah, on that for a Yeah, and we while, can talk too. about
2: that. But that, you know, when I was going through on this little small boat up to the Dawes Glacier and you see these rounded valleys of where this glacier has been for millions of years, and you realize that there's a permanence to nature in a way. And really, I mean, we're going to see shifts in our lifetime, and we're going to see some shifts in carbon and temperature change and whatever. And nature will adapt to that. Whether humans adapt to that is another story. Uh, With population shifts and migration from northern Europe, uh, northern Africa into Europe, uh, we're we're going to see huge shifts in world population because of climate change alone. So there's, there's, we're going to have some conflict with that. Nature will uh, persevere, without doubt. Uh, it will change forms, and some species may go away, but nature will, will uh, remain uh, in the future. But um, how we impact our own children, our own, the next few generations, will be uh, all about what we do right now.
1: Yeah, you're right about that. Tell us a little bit about that Tongass project. The Tongass is, is America's largest roadless landscape in Southeast Alaska. There, and uh, that's obviously one of the ones we need to conserve and protect as much as possible. Give us a little insight there.
2: Yeah, I mean, I never even knew what the Tongass was. I mean, I mean when people started talking about the Tongass, like, where is the Tongass? It sounds like it's in the, you know in the uh, South Pacific or something. Uh, but you know, I work with um, the MacIntosh Foundation, a guy named Hunter Hunter McIntosh, whose father started this foundation to basically protect and preserve uh, the Tongass. And uh, my my ranch partner, Harris Sherman, who was the deputy uh, undersecretary under Salazar, he ran the U.S. Forest Service uh, with 44,000 employees. Uh, he came to me and started talking to me about the Tongass. And he was working under the Obama administration, with the Obama administration. And uh, he said, hey, do a flyover. And there's literally a Less than four hundred people who work in the logging industry in Alaska, in Southeast Alaska, in the Tongass, yet the the, the political clout that they have uh, to, re, to get the roadless rule rescinded was unbelievable. So you know we've seen some huge impacts of taking what was supposed to be roadless in certain very sacred parts of the Tongass. Again, the seventeen million acres of rainforest were grizzly bears and salmon, and they call it the salmon forest because there's actually DNA in the trees. From decaying salmon over centuries. So, you know, the nutrients, there's a balance there that once it gets disrupted and once you cut down these sick of spruce trees that are 30, 40 feet in diameter, whatever they are, um, you know, it's, it's, there's something, it, it's, it's like murdering something. So, you know, th- that's an intact ecosystem that is now under threat from a very small economic sector, the logging industry, which if you do a flyover the to Tonga, you see the clear cutting and, and the cutting of these sickest spruce trees that are felled, put into the ocean, and then hauled off to Japan and Asia and never see the shores of the United States, there's something wrong with that. So, and yet the fishing industry, the commercial fishing industry and recreation industry, the cruise industry that just goes up there to see uh, the the glaciers and to see the fauna and the wildlife and the, 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 the trees, it's in the billions of dollars. And yet, you know, the forest logging industry in, in Congress is taking precedent. So that's a short answer on the Tongass, but we're we're trying to profile that mostly just to be able to showcase the beauty and and how fragile that environment is, so people can start really making some fra- some good decisions. Because most people in Washington, unfortunately, who who dictate policy and make our policy decisions, never set foot off of concrete, so to speak, and they really don't even know where the Tongass is yet they're making policy decisions based on where it is. So. There's a (laughs) short (laughs) answer.
1: Obviously, you're pretty passionate about that. It's one of the it's one of the most spectacular landscapes on Earth, really. Uh, I've never set foot there either, unfortunately. But uh, you know, from from grizzly bears and brown bears and salmon and you know wolves and and caribou and it's basically got the full complement of North American wildlife. You know, at least the northern part of it, and. You know, you just—we talk about this sometimes. You just aren't making any more landscapes like that, right? The ones we have with more people, we've gotta—we've gotta protect those kinds of areas. So, what's the goal of the project? Is it going to be a feature length type film? Is it going to be a documentary? What—what are you looking at for the film itself?
2: Well, we we have a a pilot film. Uh, You know, there's—it's like all these projects—they—they come and go. COVID actually, you know, was was kind of a. Shut things down, even shut it down for science on the fly. Last summer, we couldn't get to Alaska because all of our work was on the Yupik territory land, and they shut anybody out on the indigenous lands to come in to do our work. Uh, but you know, MacIntosh Foundation, who runs these two uh, very small ships that take people from a tourist perspective through the Tongass, um, uh, you know, there they have a business that's tied into the Tongass, uh, but yet they have a foundation that's dedicated to seeing changes. Uh, and and saving that that environment, uh, so it's an ongoing process. You know, there's been film work done, two different summers working on that, and now it just needs to get wrapped up as soon as we can all start getting back and getting on airplanes again.
1: And will just average folks be able to see it? Is it going to be released? Oh, of course, yeah. You know? We'll
2: leverage it in many different ways. But again, these things are all good, and I think all all these films are important for the from a consumer perspective. But I think we have to realize that the what you know when when you're actually. A politician, and you have the ability to make a decision to say yes or no to pass something. Where and how these films can help sway your decision one way or the one way or the other.
1: So yeah, awareness is a huge part of it. If you don't know something, you can't love it. That's for sure.
2: But you know, but vicariously, I mean, you know, what, one of the beauties of I mean, our industry with being in the outside world is to share this magnificence, right? That we all see and how you look mm-hmm. at it. And I see it from a photographer's lens all the time and how it, the beauty of light uh, and and what it does to me spiritually. And I think, as you mentioned early on here, we have, uh, there's a pandemic of obesity in this country. You know, if we get more people to love the outside world and to walk in the outside world. We're going to see less health insurance risk and cost, health you know health risk and insurance costs. You know, we have, there's a lot to be said about uh, being advocates for the environment in so many different ways and how it impacts our society. Um, but I think you know there's a magic to it all. There's a wonder, uh, and it never goes away from the time we were little kids if we had the ability to be in the outside world of what it means to us. And, and, and now we have children and what that means to our children and for that gift for them. But there's a spirituality to this place that we have, this outside world, and the species that live within it that we coexist with that is so invigorating and, and, and such a fuel for our lives if we allow it to happen. Um, and so the communication of the National Wildlife Federation, all the different outdoor groups uh, who extol this, uh, you know, the, the virtues of this beauty uh, is so important. And I think if we can just do that, let people live vicariously, through films, through photography, through stories, um, you know. And for those who can't get out into it, if they can just read about it and watch it and listen to it and look at books, it's it's almost equally as, as impactful.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things I love about uh, hunting and fishing and just hunters and anglers, right? they Most all of them have some of that ancient connection in some way, you know, there's nothing like, uh, stalking through the woods at at four in the morning and, and trying to find an animal and, and, and take its life. It's a pretty profound thing. And, uh, you know, it connects us to all people who've ever walked the earth. Um, and that's, that's a pretty important piece of of being human and more people need to be able to have access to that. And it, it, it's pretty sad to me to think anybody who, who never gets to, you know, get out in the woods and connect and watch the birds. And that's a, that's a, I feel like that's a mental health issue for 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 our country, really. I mean, access to the outdoors and all the things we can do to break down those barriers are are incredibly important for the health of our country and our in our world, really. So, I appreciate that you saying that. What else, Johnny? I know you got to get running here pretty soon. Do you do you want to leave us with any parting shots and and I'll ask you one thing, and then you can tell me that. And that is, I, I like to say to people, you know, if you could wave a magic wand and something make something amazing happen, conservation right now, what, what do you think that would be?
2: I think, you know, it's like we've seen in this uh, last four years of election cycle, and whether you're left or right, is that there this, this divisiveness in our country is not healthy. It doesn't allow us to get move forward and to be able to work collaboratively not only between ourselves, but with other countries. So I, I think as you know, what I hope uh, to do and help to the, with the process along with all the other people in NGOs is to try to bridge the gap, try to bridge the the mindset. And whether it's a wildlife issue or a habitat issue or whether it's a climate issue, which could become very politicized, you know, is climate change, you know, really happening or is it not happening? You know, but I think there's a way to, to communicate and to be, we're not, we're not too far apart. We're all human beings. And, you know, we all are connected in so many different ways. And even though we may have different viewpoints there's ways to find the balance of that to be able to drive towards a solution that where there's going to be give and take. Some people are going to have to give a little bit. We're all going to have to give a little bit, but there's some there's some balance there that we can find uh, where right now these roadblocks are so big that we just sometimes we can't get over them. Uh, people because people can't allow to see the other perspective. We all need to do that. We all need to look at different perspectives and again tie hands together, collaborate. As, as, as citizens, as Americans, as a country, uh, to be able to lead, lead the example uh, for other countries to follow. And I think that's what I hope to do. I mean, we have the most amazing country in the world. We have some of the most diverse and amazing wildlife species uh, that, we, that we have here. And, uh, and how we appreciate them and how we showcase the importance of them uh, is, is, is a common goal. And who can't love, who doesn't love wildlife? And how we manage that and how we collectively do it together just needs to be worked out.
1: Those are great words, Johnny. I, I like to think, and I've heard this before, so I can't take take all the credit for it, but that, you know, we need to think of our country as one big community. Uh, you know, you wouldn't, you know, if we, we both live in small places, you know, you wouldn't go over to your neighbor's house and call them kind of all kinds of names and ruin their yard and do all this. And, you know, some of this divisive stuff we're seeing is is akin to that uh in our country and we really need to knock that off and you know if someone's disagreeing with you reach out your hand and shake their hand and, and and talk about the things that you value together and agree to disagree and agree to to work together to make our country better and our, our you know our people and wildlife and all these issues i think there's so much more to that and we've we've kind of gotten used to the divided nature of things and i don't want to get used to that i want to i want to do our part to connect so Appreciate those wise words, Johnny. Do you, do you have anything else you want to tell us before you go? Well, just
2: come up and hang out with me, do a little fishing, Aaron. I need <laughs> I need to learn from you. You're gonna be you're gonna be my mentor.
1: <laughs> I think it's the other way around, or or very least, we have uh, things we can teach one another. Uh, yeah, so. yeah,
2: I think teaching everybody. But hey, I just appreciate being a participant in 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 the process. And you know, fishponds not doing anything more than uh, anybody else. We're just. Collectively, we're we're a strong voice, and I think um, l- l- let's leverage it. Let's have fun with it. Let's embrace the spirit of it. Uh, you know, building a product and building a brand like Fishpond, um, you know, we we built together a great group of people who buy our product, uh, which is great. They are buying our product our product a lot because of of the platform that we that we work on together with them as consumers. Uh, and so we need to celebrate it. We need to have fun with it, and we need to f- keep finding new issues to tackle. We can't do it all, uh, but I think, you know, with the right group of people, the right collaborators, we can get it done together. And so I feel positive about that and positive about life in general. And hopefully 2021, people will get through this uh, economic crisis that we're dealing with, uh, COVID crisis and family hardships. And, um, you know, my father died of COVID. Um, I had COVID, if you can believe it. Um, My sister had COVID. So, you know, it's it's been an impact for a lot of people. So I hope we, we see the, the light at the end of the tunnel on that um, and get through that, and we'll get through everything else at the same time.
1: Well, thank you, sir. That's uh, best wishes to you and your family, and, and, and happy holidays, and, and keep doing what you're doing. We'll, we'll put links in the show notes to Fish Pond and anything else you want to give me to let people know about, and I just very much appreciate your time, and, and let's stay connected
2: you got you got to fish with some style man that's the most important thing you got to look good on the river Aaron. you know you won't catch as many fish if you don't really look good on the river so you got to have that fish pond gear.
1: i try my hardest man but i don't know it's it's maybe it's maybe me no matter what gear i have but
2: <laughs> i'm just kidding
1: thank okay, you so man
2: so. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you
1: see you man we are nwf outdoors
2: wild game in wild places tuning to hunt stand presents
1: saturdays at 8 30 p.m eastern waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment